war which began six months ago is about to end. The Centauri have pushed us back further than we have ever been for 30 years. There must be one fortress of light to stand against the darkness. That place is this place. birthday and I wasn't informed. Hello and welcome to Who Are You? It's a Babylon 5 watchcast by a couple of former strangers, now friends, who are continuing to get to know each other over one of their favorite shows from their childhood, Babylon 5. I'm Laura. And I'm Jafar. And today we're doing a little bit different stuff with all yeah. the uh, exciting reboot Twitter that's been happening today. Today was reboot Twitter Mageddon. It was crazy. Exciting times, Malati. They fire the blood and the mind. So we are recording this on September 19th. This is going to come out a couple days later. But yesterday, Joe Straczynski tweeted saying that he's never asked for the help of the Babylon 5 community in the 22 years of the show, his history, and that he was going to be asking today. Mm-hmm. And then today around 11 a.m., I think it was, he's all like, I need to prove that there's actually interest in this show to Warner Brothers TV because they don't believe that there is. We need to make Babylon 5 in 2023 on the CW trending. There was a there's a much more concise hashtag than that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Hashtag um, B5 on CW23, I think. Yeah, that's that sounds right. It's close. It'll... We tweeted it. A lot of people yeah. tweeted it. It was the number one thing on Twitter for a number of hours today, including beating out the Queen's funeral. <laughs> while yeah. it was happening <laughs> which very impressive blows my mind and it was number two in the uk to the queen's funeral and was trending yes. in other parts of the globe as well twitter was crazy i was actually on the twitter for most of this manning the who are you account and <laughs> besides some conversations with some other babylon 5 podcasters which we are going to probably be joining some other ones for a bonus episode of some variety. I don't really, we don't really have feel like I've got a good feel what's going on with it, but it will probably be coming out before this, knowing turnaround times and some of those yeah. guys. We'll be joining a number of other Babylon Five podcasters to talk about the reboot and what it means and stuff like that later today. So that's cool too. We're going to do that after we record this episode. I'm excited. But with all this reboot news, we decided it would be fun to do some more recasting because we haven't done that in a Mm -hmm. little while. And given the episode ahead of us, season two, episode 19, the long twilight struggle, which is out of order. You might think that's out of order. It is. It is actually out of order. HBO Max has this one and the next one flipped. There's actual plot implication. It's not a huge, but it Mm -hmm. is in there, but it's, this is, one of the most Alondo and Jakar episodes there are. Yeah, this is very heavy on those two. Yeah, it seems very appropriate to recast those two roles today. Yeah, just the two biggest roles in the show. No problem. We got this. <laughs> it's two, definitely two of the most important, two of the most endearing characters mm-hmm. and two of the most important performances. Like, it's easy to like look at sometimes... I don't say sometimes acting's an easy job, <laughs> but they're definitely they're definitely parts that are harder than others. Sure. Yeah. And these are two incredibly nuanced characters that you need to bring a lot to to be able to pull it off. For sure. So, I've got I've got three sets 
for my dream casting, and they're all absolutely outrageous and will never happen for the CW. <laughs> I only have one set, but it will also never happen. <laughs> and the main thing I was looking for was on-screen chemistry between the two actors. Okay. I, I, I picked three sets of actors that have all worked together in other stuff before. Okay. And had a similar antagonistic but also friendship kind of layer in that relationship in their previous work. And sometimes it's more antagonistic than others. Sometimes it's more friendship than others. The parts of Lando and Jakar definitely stretch these boundaries for any of these previously existing sets of characters. Mm -hmm. And my first up is for Lando, Orlando Bloom, and for Jakar, John Reese Davies. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that the second you said Orlando Bloom. I was like, there's only one other person yeah. that could possibly be the other one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. They, they're, they're, they've got excellent chemistry together. And I feel like they both could do it. I think John Reese Davies would be an excellent Jakar in particular, mm -hmm. given his body of work and his style of acting. And then Orlando Bloom of the two would be, I'm a little bit more worried about with Lando, but I still think he could do a pretty good job. He might be too pretty. <laughs> well, that's what the, that's what the makeup team's for. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> All right. My second pair is uh, Zachary Quinto okay. as Lando and Carl Urban as Jakar. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I could definitely see Carl Urban getting into some of the more ridiculous aspects you know if he gets mm -hmm. if he gets a crawfish scene for example <laughs> <laughs> carl urban is really good at living in the moment but so is zachary quinto mm -hmm. of this pair compared to the other pair i feel a lot better about both actors mm -hmm. zachary quinto zachary quinto has definitely done evil oh yeah like outright evil before and could do a very good job with that but also that redemption arc mm -hmm. and what's coming with lando is also so important and, you know, being the elder statesman and there's a lot of nuance and Zachary Quinto could definitely bring that. Sure. To yeah. Look. Okay. And then my final pair is as Lando, Michael Fassbender. Okay. And as Jakar, James McAvoy. Okay. What are, for maybe your less educated co-host, what are they a duo in? <laughs> <laughs> the X-Men, historic X-Men. So not the, not the uh, Patrick Stewart ones, mm. but the ones that are set in the past. They are Magneto and Professor X, respectively. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's a good duo to pull. Yeah, there's a lot of overlap between those two characters and Lando and Jakar in weird sorts of mm -hmm. ways. And sometimes its parts are traded. Like Magneto's kind of got this like tragic, oppressed past that Jakar has a lot more in common with. But I think the character Magneto has more in common with yeah. Lando than Jakar. But it is also a good mirror of their very early relationship in season one, where compared to now, their roles are definitely flipped. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. I like all those combos. Those Thank are, you. especially, you know, when you think about the other characters they've played. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I didn't pick a, a character duo. I'll tell you about my logic. Okay. So the two actors that I picked both wound up being in their 60s, which is a little older than, obviously, Peter Jurisic and Andreas were for their roles. Andreas, I think, was up there. He might have been? This role. Okay, okay. I know he's since passed away, so, you know. He, yeah. he might have been a, a little further up there. You can't really tell it with all that. I think he was in his 50s. Yeah. All that yeah. makeup on him, it's like, I don't know. 
<laughs> yeah. He could be anything. But both of these actors are in their 60s. I give myself like a justification for that in that I think that there's a real feeling in the zeitgeist of our current political situation in the United mm -hmm. States, at least, that amongst, you know, Gen Xers, Millennials, Gen Z, most of us are being governed by people in their 60s and 70s. And we have some differing yeah. tastes on what we think our government should be like. <laughs> That's the nicest way I've ever heard that said. <laughs> we're we're kind of getting a little tired of some of the ideas that are still hanging on and for, say, the Senate, the House, all branches <laughs> of our government, really. So I for think sure. you can easily get away with two actors in their 60s in this context, right? Because we're we're mm -hmm. feeling that. And, you know, the Londo character is kind of supposed to be a little bit of a washed up bureaucrat. Yeah. And, you know, Jakar is supposed to be experienced and seasoned. So I think it makes sense. Right. So I've, I've talked myself into okay. that. For Londo, it was important for me to pick somebody who was kind of a soft man. Okay. You know, somebody that you kind of feel that washed upness just from their demeanor. And so I was thinking about this person. Did you just pick Mitch McConnell? No. <laughs> There's our zinger. Uh, da -da, da -da -da -da. Episode over. Sure. We're done, guys. No. So I was like, well, who's an actor that I saw that was kind of soft and had that mm -hmm. kind of washed up feeling? And I've been watching the new House of the Dragons series on HBO, and I've been thinking about the old Game yeah. of Thrones, right? So I thought Mark Addy, who played Robert Baratheon for Londo. Ah, yeah, that's a good call. Yeah, because we know he can do kind of the party boy thing, because Robert Baratheon was mm -hmm. a, a notorious drunk, right? You know, I'd maybe take the beard off of him, like no beard for Londo. I like the idea of clean-shaven Londo. Um, mm -hmm. But I thought he could do it. And, and you know, of course, he's got the chops to do, like, the pompous and the the regal. And, you know, yeah. I, I think Mark Addy would be a good choice. It'll never happen, but I would like it. So then for Jakar, I was thinking, well, there's a couple things that are important to me about Jakar. I want him to be a little bit taller than Londo. <laughs> okay. Um, so you can get a couple of those scenes where, you know, they're staged at least to look like Jakar is towering. Want him to be, you know, a broad-shouldered kind of person. I want him to have a really distinct voice. And so mm -hmm. a voice actor that I've been admiring lately, I've, I've seen his work in Adventure Time. Let's see, he was in, in Amphibia that we watched with my son, um, is Keith David. Okay. So, you know, he, he was yeah. the Flame King in Adventure Time, noble role. He was the king, the king of the Newts. In Amphibia, he's got a lot of king things under there. So very commanding, very yeah, regal. Very regal. Yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking the same dude. Okay. He was someone in Deep Space Nine, wasn't he? I mean, if they never got this man to play a Klingon, they just really missed a... He was, he was not in Star Trek. I'm making this all up in my head. I mean, Star Trek really missed out on not, by not casting this man, right? I mean, distinctive sure. voice. Uh, yeah. 100% should have been a Klingon at some exactly. point. Or a Romulan, for that matter. Yeah, yeah, he could have been a good Romulan, he's got that, too. He's got a regal aspect. He definitely could have been. Okay. Yeah. So that's that's my pair. That's my dream pair. But, you know, it's one of those things. I'm not sure the CW has HBO Game of Thrones money, so. 
Well, I'm honestly the way all the network stuff is happening right now, this could very easily end up on HBO Max mm -hmm. instead. So who knows? Yeah. I don't think that would be the worst thing in the world, but I don't know. I I would I would much prefer them to have an HBO Max budget compared to a CW yeah. budget. The different I think the main difference though would be number of episodes. Because if it's on the CW, it's getting a twenty something episode season. If it's on HBO Max, it's getting Yeah. 10. They better be ten really good episodes too. Yeah, and I don't I would rather ha probably have 24 lower budget episodes, to be perfectly yeah. honest. Yeah, give me more, uh, more Babylon 5. Babylon 5 needs the time to breathe, uh -huh. you know? True. That's, that's part of what makes it such a good show, is it knows when to take those moments. Mm -hmm. And you can't do that in 10 episodes. Yeah, and that's, I mean, some of the problems that Game of Thrones has struggled with, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, what episode are we going to talk about today, Jafar? We've, we've got season two, episode 19, The Long Twilight Struggle. As we already mentioned, this is flipped. The next episode, Divided Loyalties, aired first and comes first in story order very clearly due to an interaction with Sheridan and Delenn. Yes, that's where I spotted it. Yeah, that's when it was like, uh, maybe these could have been. And then it's like, oh, no, this is fucked up. They fucked this up. Mm -hmm. HBO Max needs to fix this. This, this, is, this is just actually uh -huh. wrong. <laughs> But I do have one note. The title does come from a quote from JFK. <laughs> I got this one, too. I got the whole paragraph. It's in my episode guidebook. Oh. It's the first thing in the episode. Of course it is. It talks about it. Yeah. Now the trumpet summons us again, not as a call to bear arms, though arms we need, not as a call to battle, though in battle we are, but as a call to bear the burdens of a long twilight struggle, year in and year out, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, a struggle against the common enemies of man, tyranny, poverty, disease, and war itself. Yeah. JFK speech. Yeah. One of his inaugural addresses. So this is another one of those things that I, not being a very stellar historian, did not catch this. I'm just, you know, I, I hear things like the last best hope and the long twilight struggle. Mm -hmm. And I think, God, what a good writer John Michael Straczynski is. <laughs> and then my husband's like, no, that's a presidential speech. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I really like how this section, at least of the inaugural address, fits with this episode in general. For sure. Like a very, very nice curated selection. Yeah. And it fits. I mean, Jakar gives one of the best speeches of the entire series in this right? episode. Right. Oh, my God. But it's at the end, and we'll get yes, to we it. we will. <laughs> All right. But we open on Centauri Prime with Rifa and Alondo in the Emperor's Chambers. I really thought that we were going to get the Emperor here. I was like, oh, it's time. We don't for a while. I know. No. What a disappointment. If a um, reboot wish <laughs> it is. is that the Emperor shows up earlier. <laughs> Cast Cartagia earlier. Mm -hmm. He's absent. Rifa just sits on the throne. Yeah. Rude. And Lando was summoned because the Centauri are about to win the war with Lando's help. Yeah. They haven't asked for Lando's help yet. <laughs> nope, not once. Yep. They just kind of backed him into a quarter on this one. <laughs> yep. Over on B5, Delenn is meditating uh, when she greets an old friend. It is Drawl, who totally forced Ivanova to work early needlessly. <laughs> Super rude. <laughs> <laughs> the, the number one sin in Ivanova's book. 
Yeah. Get me out of bed early. Like they force the CNC crew to freak out and call her because the planet's sending signals. <laughs> and then she's got to tell, she gets on the phone and tells Sheridan and he's just like, yeah, he's in my room right now. Like, it's fine. I love the fake out just... that happens here because they like are calling for Ivanova, I think. And it mm-hmm. goes to somebody's quarters and there's a nice steamy shower and you're like, oh God, it's Ivanova. <laughs> and then it's it's just Bruce Boxleitner. No big deal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Get everybody all hot and bothered for Ivanova and then whoops. <laughs> right. After theme draw, who only ever met Sinclair, introduces himself to Sheridan. Sheridan's aware of him. Drawl tells him to come visit ASAP and to bring another. Hill though who, which is more syllables than saying I already talked to Delenn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but this way it's way more mysterious, right? Right. right. It's got to be mysterious. You got to force. You got to like force Delenn to hurry to find him <laughs> instead of just being all like, "Oh, also bring Delenn," so that way she's not running around the station. He's not wondering who the hell it is. <laughs> It'd be so much easier. Do you think he's shipping these two together really hard? And he's just trying to make it like a little. He makes it very clear he is witnessing everything that's happening on the station (laughs) in the creepiest way possible. I have watched you since your arrival. So, yeah, I think 100% he feels their buddy. He's taking the dolls and he's going, now kiss. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't quite know what to say. That is exactly what's happening. <laughs> Over at Jakar's quarters, uh, he's talking to Justen. And hey, we know this guy. This is William Morgan Shepard. Yeah. I like him better in this role. Way better. He's significantly less creepy than he was as the Soul Hunter. Very dignified, too. If you didn't listen to our Soul Hunter episode, this is Mark Shepard's dad of supernatural fame. And he's telling Jakar uh, that the fight does not go well, Enterprise. <laughs> yeah. There's one chance that the Narn have cutting off the Centauri supply lines before they drive further into Centauri space and drag the battle and hence war out until the Centauri grow distasteful of it. Now, obviously, it isn't the intention. But I'm seeing so much of Ukraine and Russia especially at this bit. Oh my God, right? The parallels are uncanny. Yeah, it's spooky how it feels, these, the, this, this fictional conflict and this real one. Short of the ending of this episode where that ends the conflict, which Jesus fuck I hope doesn't happen. Yeah. Because <laughs> I know what the equivalent there is, and I'm not even, I don't even want to say it out loud to entertain yeah, it. Yeah, no, I think we all have enough imagination here that we can... Smell what you're stepping in. Uh, Justin says goodbye to his favorite nephew mm-hmm. and heads off, uh, reinforcing Jakar's work as being more important to the war than a fleet of ships. Yeah. It's important bits there because that's going to be what he needs, well, next season. Yeah. Delenn runs and meets Sheridan and they head down to the surface of Epsilon 3. Yeah. And then Rifa and Lando are back on Centauri Prime talking about the plan. Now they're backing him in the corner. Yeah, this is this is putting baby in the corner over mm-hmm. here. Rifa is going to pull all the f- forces away from Gorash 7 before the Narn attack, and Lando is indignant. What is this Rifa madness? Rifa 
<laughs> you got to get oh, one in there at least. One. Yeah. He explains your secret army will defend Gorash 7 while we take the Narn homeworld while it's unprotected. Uh, they won't invade Narn. Rather, they're just going to flatten it with those illegal mass drivers. Yeah, this is just some really wild logic, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, if you kill everyone on the planet, you don't need to worry about putting foot soldiers on the ground. Yeah, I, I guess. We've already used this planet for a lot of its resources. So at this point, it's just like revenge, right? We're not... Yeah. going for any more stuff really yeah their their infrastructure probably doesn't matter mm-hmm. you know when you've got a uh, a nation that doesn't maintain its infrastructure for so long and it's crumbling anyways <laughs> <laughs> so these mass drivers like now that i have read the expanse yeah are they in there i don't i don't want to say that they're exactly in there but you know okay. the idea comes up in the books that you really don't need like a nuclear weapon to harm no. people once you're in space. Like you just need a big rock and you need to throw it hard enough. <laughs> and it doesn't even have to be that yeah. big, really. It depends on, you know, it's all a function of physics, right? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't need to be that big and it doesn't need to be thrown that hard because terminal velocity is real. Yeah. And it's going to hit that before it hits the ground anyways. So it's really more about being accurate when you're trying to throw it hard. Mm-hmm. But you're throwing asteroids at a planet for four days, which is the plan. Uh, it doesn't really matter where at that point. Yeah, the the descriptions of like the destruction that this would cause that they come up with in the expanse just really. Oh, it's horrifying. It's it's yeah. hard to it's hard to fathom it without someone giving you that kind of illustration. Yeah, it's uh, these have been around in sci-fi for a long time mm-hmm. as a concept. I mean, I think even uh, JMS is like listed some book from the 1950s that has them in it mm-hmm. when I was reading through his use note stuff. They are horrifying. It is a horrifying concept. Isn't that also um, Robert Heinlein's The Moon is a Harsh Mistress? I think the people is a moon. Do they, they use mass drivers? Well, I don't know that they use mass drivers necessarily. I don't know that they call it that, but basically they start flinging rocks at some point, I think. Or they threaten to, at least. It's been a while since I read that book. Man. Um, I think the last time... I I haven't read The Moon is a Harsh Mistress. I audiobooked it on a family trip, I think, when I was like 15. Yeah, yeah. And I remember a bunch of it, but I don't remember that. Okay. Maybe I'm thinking of a different Heinlein book. I don't know. But, you know, the idea that, you know, rock from space... It's within his... Yeah. Yeah. A rock from space is going to be devastating. Even we have lots of just accidental rocks from space in our sci-fi canon, you know. Yeah. It's Armageddon, but we pointed it at you. (laughs) It's Armageddon on purpose. (laughs) Oh, you know, they totally do that in Starship Troopers. The bugs launched an asteroid at Buenos Aires. Okay. That's what starts the war in Starship Troopers. God, that's a wild trip, that movie. The book is interesting, too, but the movie is definitely wild. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes. Anyways, back at the station, Garibaldi is suspicious of Drawl's message, but Ivanova confirms it is genuine, and Delenn and Sheridan decide to head down. Back on Centauri Prime, Rifa tells Londo that they will be on the bridge of the flagship overseeing their victory at the Narn homeworld. Yeah, he's like, not only do you have to call your friends and have them come help us in this, let's go see it. <laughs> yeah. Let's go watch. Let's just go watch millions upon millions of people die. Yeah. God, he's Ugh. such a ghoul. Yeah. 
Jakar arrives at Metalab at Dr. Franklin's request, who warns that the invasion of the Narn homeworld appears to be imminent. Yes. He had overheard some refugees talking about strange Centauri behavior and passes it along to Jakar because the soldier died before he could. Yeah, Jakar is very thankful, and he gets on the horn right away to mm -hmm. tell Justin, but it's too late. Everything's rolling, and Justin will not abort this assault, even if it looks like something else is going going to happen. Sheridan and Delenn make it down, and they are uh, traversing the catacombs of the Great Machine when she casually curses, <laughs> noting that she's been studying the human languages. Epsifragging Ludwig, damn it. <laughs> this is in direct reference, and she actually quotes him next episode. Yeah. Yeah, this is where... Fix it, HBO. Yep. Continuity's all wrong. It's broken. I wouldn't call this a casual curse. I'd call this an emphatic curse. <laughs> That's fair. They eventually find the big CG hallway of you're almost there. Yeah, we, we saw this big CG hallway before. Jakar calls his uncle to get him to cancel the attack. He refuses and offers the famous last words of, we'll talk about this after this very dangerous and deadly battle with our enemy who completely overwhelms us in every way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Such a trope. Yep. Sheridan and Delenn make it over to Drawl, who holograms in and reveals he could have guided them through the catacombs, but just chose not to. Yeah. What a Drawl move. Also, he comments on Delenn's transformation like he didn't just see her 10 minutes ago. Yeah. Also, he sees everything. I mean. Yeah. He gets real creepy in here. I always feel like me. Before speaking for the audience, really, when he talks about Sheridan, uh, we weren't sure about you at first, but it's all worked out. <laughs> kind of very much felt like a on-purpose proxy. Yeah. Do you think he's the network executives here? <laughs> <laughs> he might well be. All right, you can stay. He knows about all the Earth shit that's happening and offers his and the Great Machine's assistance in the future. Mm -hmm. Someday. And man, this is a whole thing because you would just immediately like, okay, I've got literally the best spy satellite that's ever been invented mm -hmm. <laughs> at my beck and call. Yeah. Hey, tell me uh, what's going on with uh, with uh, Senator Quantrell and uh, President Clark, right? please. <laughs> Yeah, can you just record Clark for like three days and just let me know when he fucks up and gets it on camera? That'd be great. Hey, thanks. you know, it'll also be great to know what's going on with Psychor at the same time. Okay, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> just tell me before Buster gets here. Yeah. That's all I want to know. <laughs> did I say Buster? You did, but Buster. I kind of like Buster. Let's call him Buster now. <laughs> Buster. Buster, the sidekick from the seminal Christmas classic Jingle All the Way. Mm -hmm. That's right. Babylon 5 takes place in the Jingle All the Way verse, Ben. I'm not a pervert. I know you're laughing right now. Just you. Uh, we <laughs> that, That's a button. <laughs> we got to keep Ben happy. Yeah. Got to keep Ben happy. Uh, the Narn arrive at Garage to find no Centauri, but five Sato ships decloak. Mm -hmm. And we get some great music. This is actually worked into the season three theme this piece here it's worked into the beginning it definitely sounded familiar yeah the shadows destroy the narn forces with one of their ships being slightly damaged and jakar sits in the shadows as all of the candles in his quarters have gone out yeah i liked the the towing the little shadow ship away with the other ship that was a nice touch the cgi really they put some effort and time and money into and, you mm -hmm. know, to have those little sequences, like, it's not just 
the shadows completely mow us over. I mean, obviously they do, but, you know, we did have some little damage mm-hmm. and we got to tow it. And it's, you know, that's a nice creative touch. Yeah, it just latches on and grabs it. Jarral mm-hmm. senses some distress calls and sends Sheridan and Delenn back to Babylon 5. And then we get a little Zathras shout out. I know. <laughs> we don't get to see our friend Zathras, but we find out he's running the great machine or he's the, he's the maintenance guy. Well, Zathras is running the great machine, but what about Zathras? Mm. Yeah. Or maybe it will be Zathras. Or it could be Zathras. 100%. We just don't know. We don't know which one. Not the one. Ivanova warns Garibaldi. The Centauri are attacking the Narn homeworld. ISN reports and violence breaks out immediately in the Zoko. Oh, my God. So this bar scene, you're telling me all Mm -hmm. these people would just be hanging out together before they find out? You know, like like nothing's been going wrong this whole time. Like we just have a bar full of just <laughs> Narns and Centauri, like mixed. Right. And it's like you're telling me that no they Trazi, wouldn't have their own like place. No yeah. Humans. Yeah. This is Yeah, no. I I am I agree hundred percent. The war's been going on for six months at this mm-hmm. point for Rifa. Mm-hmm. Culturally, you would be separated. Yeah. I feel. You would there would be this is the place the Centauri go. This is the place the Narn go. And we've seen bits of that, too. We've seen Centauri places and Narn places. Yeah. yeah. And then you, you see those people hearing about it in their own places and going out into the Zogel at Rumble, you know, but not, not yeah. just all hearing about it in the same bar. <laughs> I don't know what it is about the word Rumble that makes me think it's a West Side Story style fight, mm, that, but that's, that's totally how it's playing out in my head yeah, right now. Yeah, that, that'd be a good Snapping fight. Snapping their fingers. <laughs> all right. Well, enough with the comedy. Let's talk about tragedy yeah sheridan and delenn get back and already word of the use of mass drivers londo looks on helpless as the weight of his machinations is brought to fruition yeah he's made some very bad choices uh yeah. when all these times he said he had no choice too he's mm-hmm. he said that it was all beyond his control and yet here we are here he is yeah that scene with him in the reflection Mm -hmm. is just iconic it is classic screenshot yeah it's the cover of my season two guidebook Mm -hmm. yeah it's like the most pivotal moment of the season i'd say i would argue that it's probably one of the most pivotal moments of the show um it's it's one of definitely one of the most iconic scenes of the show yeah apparently they almost didn't get the reflection working it was the whole thing they managed it with a sheet of plexiglass on the green screen they were not sure how this was going to happen. It was apparently a minor miracle that they got that shot. Well, hey, it was worth it. 100%. The Narn homeworld is sieged for four days without surrender, but there's nothing they can do. Yeah. They plan on surrendering, but before they do, the Kari sends Jakar to talk to Sheridan to ask for political asylum. God, this is so hard. Like, the defeat yeah. in this man that he projects to Sheridan about, you know, you can tell that it hurts him to ask for sanctuary, mm-hmm. but he's presumably the last of the Kari. I mean, I don't know if the others are dead or just all imprisoned. We'll be soon enough. Yeah. As we find out in the next scene. They want a man on the outside. And so they yeah. instruct him to beg Earth for sympathy. Lando arrives back on Babylon 5 and immediately arranges for a council meeting. He announces the Narn surrender. He can, then he goes over the terms of surrender in front of the Babylon 5 Advisory Council and the League of Non-Aligned Worlds. Yeah, just horrible. The first is the disbanding of the Kari. They're all war criminals now. Mm-hmm. 
Earth asked to send observers to their trials, and it is immediately denied. I thought that was just terribly rude. <laughs> yeah, Sheridan's like, no fuck off. Sheridan's request was very reasonable, and the Centauri are not having it. Yep. Two, any Narn who kills a Centauri will lead to the execution of 500 Narns, including their family. This is a very Roman-sounding punishment. I feel like ancient uh, Rome would do this. This There is historical precedent for these kind of things. Uh, you kill one of our people, mm -hmm. we're going to kill 100 of yours. I think there are some in our own country, right? Perhaps yeah. during the Civil War. Yeah. it is. There's historical precedent for this kind of mass murder. Mm -hmm. And that's just fucking terrible yeah nothing changes three a new Narn government's going to be put in place by the centauri as a colony of the republic and finally jakar loses his spot on the council both earth and mimbar stand up for jakar and protect him for with their offer of sanctuary londo insists he leaves the council chamber immediately he gets up and delivers a hell of a few lines just just cut it in mm-hmm there's, there's no talking about it that will recreate the emotion that, that is summoned here. Mm -hmm. No dictator, no invader can hold an imprisoned population by force of arms forever. There is no greater power in the universe than the need for freedom. In this speech, I have seen quoted a lot lately with the current events going on in Ukraine versus Russia. Yes. I, I remember after the invasion started, one of the first things I saw was a picture of uh, Ukrainian, uh, pre is it president or prime minister? I think he's a president there. Yeah. Zelensky with this quote attached to it. Yeah. How, how strange must that feel for J. Michael Straczynski? You know, he's seen these memes. He has to have. Yeah. He's all over Twitter. I'm sure he has. And Honestly, if I were to see him at a convention, I would probably get in line and ask him that. Mm -hmm. I think that's a great question because you know it has to be impactful. Yeah. We cut to Lando watching ISN, uh, who announced Cartage's week-long celebration of victory. Sheridan meets Jakar and reinforces that he personally will do what he can to help. Of course, it's too little too late, really. You know, Sheridan never really got as involved as it should have, and Earth definitely didn't. Yeah, Sheridan tried. Uh, you know, he had the, what was it, um, some supply ships with old food that mm -hmm. Jakar broke down about in a previous episode. If Earth and Mimbari had stepped in and stopped this conflict from happening in the first place, mm -hmm. like the first attack happens, Narn declares war, and they both are just like, no. It makes Delenn's words very hollow, doesn't it? Yeah. Delenn calls for Sheridan. He arrives to a gathering of the Rangers and Kosh. She places Sheridan as co-head of the Rangers in the area to help protect B5. With the Narn Centauri conflict over, the next phase of the Great War will start soon. And Sheridan draws a line in the sand against the darkness. Yeah. And that's the episode. A big, big episode. A huge episode. And just the acting in this episode. I will say this. Beth has watched like one episode of Babylon 5 with me before this, I think. Mm, okay. And not really paid attention. Uh -huh. <laughs> Depending on the episode, totally fair. 100%. This episode pulled her attention, demanded her attention, and she even told me I'm emotionally invested in this show now, mm -hmm. is how powerful the acting in this episode is. 
Yeah. It, this is a Babylon 5 out of 5 for me. Oh, yeah. 100%. One of the best episodes of the series. Just the weight of everything is felt and carried. And this episode reverberates through the remainder of the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I forgot that I needed to even put a rating on this episode. <laughs> and I mean, it's <laughs> it's obviously a five out of five. I mean, this is where we start getting the real meat. And this long simmering conflict comes to a real turn, a dark turn. And we're going into like... The long night of Jakar. Jakar's going to go through some really crazy shit. Yeah. It doesn't end here just because his planet is now subjugated and taken over. Like, his story is just beginning. Yep. All right. Well, that was a heavy episode. It was a very heavy episode. And the next episode is not exactly light watching either. Yeah. We have season two, episode 20, Divided Loyalties. Lita Alexander returns to Babylon 5, convinces a traitor on board. Ivanova makes a startling revelation. Yeah, very vague. I'm excited to see Lita again. I thought she was fantastic. Yes. Ready to have her back. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you to Jeremy Siegel for our lovely theme music. You can find more of his work at jeremysiegel42.bandcamp.com. And thank you to Angry Duck Time Machine on Instagram for our podcast artwork. And go ahead and join the community on our Discord, where we'll be chatting about this. We're chatting about all the Twitter stuff, chatting about all kinds of things. And then also, who are you? B5 at gmail.com. Shoot us an email with your thoughts on season two for our season two recap episode that will be coming out in a number of weeks. Yeah, looking forward to it. I can't believe we're almost to the end of season two. Right? We're almost at episode 50. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> all right. We'll see you next week, Internet. All right, bye.